welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew, series I've entitled The Savior King and His Kingdom. We're in the section of the Gospel referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. It began with the Beatitudes, uh, seven or eight um, character traits of a believer. And then uh, we moved on to um, last week. We saw that it's as these Beatitudes are lived out. We should. We should. We're, you know, none of us have mastered any of them, but we're always growing and trying to improve upon them, and they should all be present at some degree in our lives, and we ought to be, you know, thinking about them and growing in them. And as they do manifest in our lives, they act as, in the last text, we saw salt and light. And salt has this way of preserving the world around us. It brings, um, you know, pre it preserves the, the things of God in the world around us, as well as adds flavor and creates a thirst for the things of God and the light obviously brings light into the darkness. And so our, you know, we're meant to live these beatitudes out in such a way that the world can see them and they can see God in us. So, so that was what we were looking at. Now we're going to look at, we're going to start in starting in verse 17 um, through the end of the sermon. They're going to be these short little paragraphs that you know, that each one of them could be a message unto itself, you know, and, and there's, there was a temptation to me to do it that way, but I'm not going to. Uh, but they're gonna, we're going to lay out some principles. Jesus is going to give us some principles by which we can live. And I'm going to define the word principle. Principle is a comprehensive and fundamental law, doctrine, or assumption, a rule or code of conduct. Now, yeah, we will say somebody's principled, when they live according to their principles. You know, okay, we know they have certain principles and we see them living out those principles. We see that man is a, a man of principle. That means we can depend upon him to be a certain way because he lives according to these principles. We may not always agree with all of his principles, but we know how he's going to behave. He's going to behave that way because those are his principles. Before we get too far, I just want to pause a little bit and talk about this concept of principles because there, there are two ways that people often approach Scripture and people really approach life. We either we either like rules or we like principles, and we find ourselves being drawn to one or the other. Some people are really into rules. I want to know. I want to know what the rule is. Tell me what the rule is for this. Other people want to know the principle. Here's a, here's the image I have. A rule is the fence. A fence says, "Okay, don't go past this point." The principle is. Why was the fence put there? 
What is the purpose? Why was it put there? Because it changes the way we view these things. And I'm going to talk about some of that as we go through it. And so there's two different people. If you like the rules, you tell me black and white. Don't give me the uh, uh, principles are too vague for me. I know what I want to know. Yes, no. This far, no further, that sort of a thing. And we're going to see how that plays out because Jesus is going to address the, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees. Guess what kind of people they were? They loved the rules, and they had lots of them. So we're going to talk about that. Just as a quick aside, I'm a principal guy. If you tell me the fence there, the first thing I'm going to ask is why? Why, why put it right there? Give me a reason why that fence is there. Give me another reason why I can't go past that fence. You know, I'm, I, that's just the way my mind thinks, and I, I can't change what I am. I suppose I could. Well, God's going to have to do it because I, I'm not going to get it done. All right. <laughs> Let's pray because we need to right now. Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you, Lord God, that, that you have given us both rules and principles, and we're going to look at that today. We're going to look and see how there are rules but there are also principles behind those rules, and if we understand them, it, it, it will, in, it will in, help us to interpret um, those rules, those commandments, those instructions, those different things. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to see clearly, as I believe you both, you want us to both, you want us to appreciate both, both the rules and the principles, and that we would allow our lives to be um, uh, determined that way. I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to come right now and set us free from the bondage of legalism. If there's, any, if there's even a hint of legalism in our hearts, I pray, Lord, that you would set us free from that so that, Lord God, we can walk in the freedom that you gave us through the cross. And we praise you this day for, this, for all that you're doing. We praise you for your word. We praise you for your son. God, we thank you for all that you are and do in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter five, we're gonna, be, we're gonna start in verse 17 this morning. Jesus is going to begin with a, a foundational principle, one really ultimately that all the other principles are built upon. So if you miss this one, none of the rest of them are really going to matter because this is the key. This is the main one. So principle number one, obey God's commands. Is that easy enough to understand? That sounds like a fence, right? Obey God's commands. It is a fence. Verse 17. Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. So just a quick little background. The law refers to the first five books of the Bible. And also referred to as the books of Moses or the Pentateuch, other terms that are used for it as well. When you see the term prophets, now that could refer to Isaiah through Malachi, or it could refer to the rest of the Bible. You know, the law and the prophets would then summarize all of the Bible. And so what, what all of the Old Testament, excuse me. And so, and so when Jesus is saying that none of the, none of the, not one jot or tittle will pass away, what he's saying is that, you know, even though I've come, even though I am, and I, you know, I'm, I am what I am, the, the, you know, the law and the prophets are still valid. And, and that carries forward to us as well. There are people, and I don't get it. There are people that tell us we don't have to bother with the Old Testament. They're going to have a real problem if they show up my Tuesday morning Bible study or Wednesday night study, because that's where we are. And we're in the Old Testament. We love the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament teaches us things about Jesus. I, 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 you know, the whole Bible points to Jesus. 
And so, you know, why we would not allow, you know, the whole Bible to speak to us about our Savior and King and, and Lord, it makes no sense to me. But, you know, some big names out there telling us, yeah, we don't need to bother with the Old Testament. They're wrong. I'm going to say that publicly. You're wrong. I'm sorry. You're not watching. But, you, it, you know, there's, those of you watching, God bless you. Glad you're here. You're not wrong. Those who are teaching that are. Jesus said, I didn't come to nullify the Old Testament. I didn't come to do away with that. I came to fulfill it, meaning that he came to be what it says. And that's what he does. He came to be what the Old Testament says. And so we, we find in the scriptures, every page of the Bible points us to Jesus, every page. And so when we, when we recognize, we understand that, we recognize that anywhere we go, anywhere we study, that we can find something about Jesus there, and we should be looking for that. So he didn't come to do away with that. The, the Old Testament is still as valid today as, as it was 2,000 years ago. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture, and at the time that, that Paul said that, all scripture meant primarily the Old Testament, but it also then wraps up everything that came after that, is given by inspiration of God, or literally is God breathed, God breathed his word, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man, and you put in parentheses, or woman, of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're gonna do any good in this world, you got to love the Bible. you got to love all of the Bible, even Leviticus and Numbers. you got to love them. Now, does this mean that we should be doing the things that God told the Jews to do in the Old Testament? Should we be sacrificing animals to, you know, atone for our sin? No, no. There are things that we, the Bible tells us. 1 John 2, 2, he, he himself is the propitiation, the the, uh, the atoning sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. There are things in the Bible that are meant specifically to the Jews, but every one of them has a principle behind it. Every one of them tells us something about Jesus. Even those sacrifices, even the, 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 the articles in the temple, in the tabernacle. We're, uh, we're in the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights, and we're going to be getting into the tabernacle pretty soon. I'm looking forward to it as we can look at every object in the tabernacle and, and every activity that's done in the tabernacle points to Jesus. And I'm looking forward to getting to that in about four or five years. <laughs> we're not going that slow, but it doesn't seem like we're getting there very fast. You know, Jesus is going to go on to tell us how we ought to be relating to God's word. Verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, we need to look at God's commandments not as God's suggestions, that they are not suggestions. The Ten Commandments are not, you know, ten easy things you can do to live a blessed life. That's not what the Ten Commandments are. That's not what God's commandments are. God's commandments are what he expects his people to do. He expects it. How well does he expect us to do it? Perfectly. Perfectly. Anybody, anybody got that nailed? Anybody got perfection down? No, none of us do. That's why we have 
repentance and forgiveness. That's why we have the blood of Jesus Christ to wash all of our junk away. As we continue to grow and to strive toward perfection, but in the meantime, our goal is perfection. Absolute perfect obedience to God's commands. To be in a right relationship with God, one of the principles that we've got to have is that my principle, one of my principles is to be, is to obey all of God's commands to the best of my ability. To do, to do the very best that I possibly can. That's got to be one of my foundational principles is I'm going to obey God. Because everything else is built upon that. If, I, if I'm not going to obey God, then all the rest of the commandments that he gives, really, you know, what point do they, what point do they serve? You know, we have to obey and we have to, we have to understand that we can't, we can't, we can't, you know, mess around with God's commands. You know, people, you know, you know, somebody stealing from their employer because their employer doesn't pay them enough, doesn't pay them what I'm worth. That, that's not right. Does, does it, you know, I can explain it. I can explain why I'm doing this because, you know, if they paid me what I was worth, then I wouldn't have to do this. I wouldn't have to disobey God. Uh, excuse me? Can we always obey God? Yeah, we always can. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes there's a price that's attached to it. Sometimes there's a consequence attached to it, but we can always do it. You know, the employer might be in the wrong, but that doesn't justify doing what God says is wrong. Two wrongs do not make a right, but three lefts do. <laughs> See if anybody caught that. <laughs> Trying to lighten it up a little bit. Our principles must align with God's commands. If our, if our principles aren't lining up with God's commands, then which one of them is wrong? Our principles, right? Our idea of reality, our idea of the way we're going to do things. Those are your principles that determine how you're going to live your life. If you don't have principles, then you can do whatever you want, you know, and obviously you're going to get, the, you're going to get that result. You know, this verse also comes with a warning here. It says, if you break God's commandments, there's a consequence. There's always a consequence for breaking God's commandments. But it's even worse when you're influencing others to do it. Now, to me, you know, as a guy that, you know, I, I, liked, I liked to minister to men. We had a men's breakfast yesterday morning. It was awesome. You know, I, these, we as men ought to take this one seriously because God has put us in a place of leadership. And so if we are in a place of leadership and, and we are not principled, if, we're not, if our principles aren't lined up with, the, with God's word, then we are influencing others to disobey God. And there's a price going to be attached to that. That should be sobering to men and husbands and fathers. So principle number one, obey God's commands. Principle number two, don't trust your own righteousness. Don't trust in your righteousness. Verse 20, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That verse would have shocked Jesus' hearers, would have rocked them. Because in their mind, the scribes and the Pharisees were the most righteous people in their, in their world. They, they, they did everything right. They, you know, they had you know, 613 specific commandments and then countless rules and interpretations and examples of, of the commandments. 
It became so burdensome that nobody could bear it. Nobody could do it. And yet the scribes and the Pharisees were calling people to this, this extreme expression of faith. Ultimately, it's an expression of legalism. Jesus isn't calling us to legalism. That, that, that there are rules. There are certain things God do not do this. That's a rule. Don't do it. But, that, but it's not about the rules. There's more to it than that. He's going to get into that in the next one. We're going to start seeing that there's more to it than just do not do or do. God's calling us to walk in the freedom of the Spirit. That we have this relationship with God that is free. That doesn't negate the commandments. The commandments still stand but it puts the day-to-day interpretation of how we live out those commandments into and under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And as we grow in our faith and understand the Word of God, we can then walk through this life obeying God's commandments and doing it in accordance with the way the Holy Spirit would have us to do it. Not according to some man saying, oh, don't do it that way. You know, you know, yes, somebody come up to you and say, oh, oh, you know what? You should read your Bible from, the, from, you know, Revelation to Genesis. You know, read it backwards. That's the way you should read it. And upside down. <laughs> you know what you should tell them? <laughs> yeah, be nice, but tell them to get out of your face. You know, we let the Holy Spirit lead us. Now, now we need to let people in our lives influence us toward good and right and, 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 the, and the correct things. You know, otherwise, you know, guys like me don't have a job. But, you know, we, we ought to try to let, you know, to, to let the Holy Spirit lead us. He's got to be our first, our first line of, of interpretation of everything. But, but, you know, because we don't know everything, we need other people around us who have studied more than we have or more experienced more than we have can also input into us. But always go back to what the Word of God says and what the Holy Spirit is telling you. But it'll never, God will never violate his commandments. He'll never go against his word. And so anybody that tells you something otherwise should be disregarded. At the very least, should be disregarded. So um, he's telling, he's saying, hey, you know, it, unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you're not going to heaven. Wow. That's an impossible standard that Jesus set for them. If they're, the, if they're example of righteousness and they are the, the, the pinnacle of righteousness, and I have to be better than them to get to heaven. What am I going to do? How am I going to get to heaven? They might ask. You might ask. Well, the righteousness that we are seeking is not the righteousness of the law. We are seeking the righteousness with God through faith in his son and that sacrifice on the cross. That's where our righteousness is. Our righteousness is not our own. Our righteousness is Christ's righteousness, which is imputed to us through faith. Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We don't look for righteousness in the law. The, right, the, the law cannot make you righteous. <clears throat> cannot make you right with God. It, 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 is, it is a tutor. It can show us our sin, but it can't, show us, it can't show us how to be right with God. Only faith in Jesus Christ, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the knowledge of the Word of God, and all of those things combined help us to achieve that righteousness. How do we get to heaven? Through faith in Jesus Christ. 
When I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior, he died for my sins, my sins are forgiven, then I know that when I go into the presence of God, he will receive me. Not because of my righteousness, because I don't have any. I don't have any that will even remotely approach. It doesn't give me the right even to look to heaven, let alone go there. But when I believe in Jesus Christ, now do I not only have righteousness, I have Christ's righteousness, perfect righteousness. Not me, it's his. And it covers me so that I now have the, I can go as, as Hebrews tells us, boldly into the presence of God, knowing that he will receive me and accept me. There's no law. There's no righteousness in the law. Um, if, if there was, it could save us. But we know the, the law saves no one. Okay. Kingdom principle number three, moving right along. Have a high regard for life. So you've heard it said, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, you bring your, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison assuredly I say to you you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny so so Jesus addresses the topic of murder what is murder why is murder wrong you know you know is it wrong I, I hope the answer you would all say is yes murder is wrong Murder is the crime of unlawfully and unjustifiably killing a person. Jesus is saying here, it's not only is it wrong to kill people, but anything that leads or could lead to killing is also wrong. Okay, this is the idea of the principles here versus the rule. The rule is do not murder. Okay, so... If I do not murder, if I don't murder somebody, then I'm okay. So does that mean it's okay for me to beat the snot out of somebody, but don't kill them? Oh, it, I didn't murder them. Again, it's the principle of behind it. What is the principle behind this reality that I should not murder? And the, and the principle is that we are called to have a high regard for life. What life? All life. All life. Specifically, human life, but ultimately all life. And not only to have a high regard for life, but to have a high regard for the dignity of life. Now, this is something that is, it is just lost in our culture today. There is very little regard for human life, and there is almost no regard in our culture for the dignity of life. All of the things that we see going on, all the conflict, all the division, all of the junk that people are saying to and about one another comes right down to this. There's no regard for life, and there's almost no regard. Well, there's almost no regard for life, and there's zero regard for the dignity of life. 
To be able to come against somebody and to, and to scream in their face because they believe something different than you do, it, there is no regard for dignity. There is no dignity in that at all, either coming from you or being expressed to that other person. And Jesus would say, that's, that's akin to murder. That, that is of the same caliber as murder because it does lead. We know it does. You know, people get angry. They start, you know, screaming and yelling at each other. What, what ultimately can come out of that? Murder. You know, we, you know, people are different, right? You know, we're all different. You know, if we sat down and talked about all of our stuff, we'd have all kinds of differences between us, right? You know, you know just, just, just we're all different. And, and differences are almost always where conflict comes from, right? If we were all the same, there wouldn't be any conflict. But we're not all the same. We're all different. And so the conflicts are, are, are they're just everywhere. They're real. That's, that's life. The differences that between, you know, men and women and old and young and, you know, this, this, this and that, that, you know, that's just reality of the world that we live in. And that's where often the problem is, is because of those differences, we get into conflict with them. And, and right now, one of, the big, one of the big challenges that we have in our culture is people cannot talk about stuff. If you have a difference of opinion, you, you can't express, I mean, it, I mean, people, I mean, I just heard a podcast just recently that college professors are afraid to speak their mind because they're afraid they're going to get fired because some student will say, I don't like that. You offended me. You hurt my feelings. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Grow up. But... You know, the reality is that we're living in this world where people can't talk to one another without screaming and yelling or, or, or being hurt or offended or any of these things. There's no dignity. There's no respect. As believers, we have to deal with the differences just like anybody else does. But how should we deal with them? Love, respect, grace, mercy, compassion, Forgiveness, that's how we deal with our differences. And, and, and God would say to us, if we're believers, that there's one thing that, that is paramount in the life of a believer as, as they relate to other believers, and that is unity. If you're a believer, you must be in unity with other believers, even, even ones you don't agree with. That is, and we don't have to agree, but we cannot be divided. Now, there are places where God does tell us where we can. We need to separate ourselves from certain groups of people because they're just messed up. But when we come together, when this church comes together, there should never be division. Division is sin. It's always wrong, and, and one or both parties are in sin and wrong and need to deal with it. Thankfully, we're in a church. I, I don't know that we've had to deal with much division. We just chase those people right out of here. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I might, but no, no. No, we should deal with that stuff. We can. Love, respect, forgiveness, compassion, grace, mercy. All of those things were given to us so that we can be in unity and deal with the differences that we have. And we've got to be careful. Anger, he, he refers to anger specifically 
because it's one of the ones that most quickly leads to violence of different things. We see, gosh, we see it all around us. The, the way people are responding to simple differences of opinion are just, it, it just baffles me. I didn't, you know, I, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember. It didn't used to be like that. People disagree and just say, okay, well, okay. You be you, I'll be me. We're all, we're all good. We'll agree to disagree. They don't do that anymore. You disagree because you are evil and wicked and horrible. Wow. Lighten up, Randy. <laughs> Having a high regard for human life, I, I believe should be a, 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 a one of those foundational Christian principles is that we just have a high regard of life. God created who? All of us. He created us in his image. And he created us to bear his image out into the world. And so for me to despise another of God's creations is wicked. Again, I don't have to agree with them. I don't even have to like them. But I can't despise them. I can't despise them. And things like anger, it's almost never right. Almost never. And we have to be careful with it. Have to be careful. Kingdom principle number four. Have a high regard for marriage. Now, again, we're touching on these things. We could have spent hours on each of them. We don't have that much time because we have other things to do, like lunch. Uh, verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old. Again, he's referring back to, to those of old, referring to people, you know, before. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So we, we, we started with God's commandments. We've got, we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to believe. We've got to obey God's commandments. We, we have to have a high regard of life. God created all of us. The very first institution that God created was marriage. He put Adam and Eve together, said, you are, you are now one. And what God has put together, let no man take apart. The biblical view of marriage, in case there's any question, is very simple. You know, I think it was somebody, I think it was Randy, was talking about, you know, not being able to define a woman. This is another topic that we're having trouble defining. What is marriage? Let me help you. Not any of you, because you all know it, but somebody may watch this online. A, a marriage is a covenant relationship between God and a man and a woman for a lifetime. A man and a woman that we also can define both of those very clearly, very easily for a lifetime. That's what a marriage is. It's a God-ordained covenant. And as a God-ordained covenant, it should never be broken. Adultery 
is a breaking of the covenant of marriage. Now, many in our culture, if they even acknowledge the concept of adultery, would describe it as physical intimacy between two married people, or one married person and someone else outside of that marriage relationship. Jesus says the problem doesn't begin in the bedroom. It begins in the eye. If you look at a woman to lust after her, now, now notice, it doesn't say if you look at a woman, period. If you look at a woman to lust after her, and this, this actually you could also, ladies, you could do it too. You know, if it said, if you look at a man to lust after him, same thing, same concept, then, then you, in, in Jesus saying, you are then already committing adultery. The principle is that this high view of marriage says that I, I view everything through the filter of my marriage. When I see another woman, I see it as, as someone, she is not my wife. And therefore, I have to view her differently than I view my wife. I cannot, I cannot imagine, I cannot think of, I cannot see her as something other than what she is. She is not my wife. She is not the object of my affection. She is not someone I'm, I am focused on, on on a physical level in any way or fashion. She is she is elsewhere it says that we ought to view on women as if they were our sister. We, we have a different view of them. The problem begins long before the act of adultery. It begins in the eye and the heart and the mind. Lust is an intense or strong desire. It's not just looking and seeing and noticing someone is attractive or whatever. Simply looking is not a sin, but looking, if not restrained by this high view of marriage, will, will lead, can lead to lust, which then can lead ultimately to adultery. And that's what he's saying. The principle is that you have this high view of marriage, that everything else must be subservient to that, must be, must be you know, obedient to that high view, that, you know, the boundary is adultery. Don't commit adultery. But the principle is I don't commit adultery because I am married to a woman who is my one. There is no other. There can be no other. There should never be another. Should I never even look at a woman as if she might be another? Never. That's the principle behind it because God established this covenant and it's a covenant that is meant to last for a lifetime. Adultery does not begin in the bedroom. It begins in the eye, which affects the heart, which then affects the mind, which then affects the body. It's a whole process that goes on. And if we can catch it in the eye, if we can look away or, or interpret that vision in a way that is right and appropriate and good, that is a child, that is a daughter of God, and she's off limits to me. And I'm not to think on her in any inappropriate way. All sin is bad. But the sin of adultery... It's one of the worst. It affects so much. It damages so much. And we should take whatever steps are necessary to prevent it. Jesus is calling us to the highest possible level of holiness. 
And, and what he's saying here in this text is that we ought to look at holiness. We ought to look at this idea, whether it be in our marriage or, or whatever, whatever principle we're talking about, that we ought to be so, so against it, that we ought, to, we ought to be so, care about our holiness so much that we would rather be maimed than to give in to sin. That we'd rather lose an eye than give in a lap, rather lose a hand than give in. And he's not telling you to maim yourself, you know, somehow to make yourself more holy, but we ought to have the attitude that I would rather be maimed than do that thing. And I think that's a problem we have in our culture. We have, I think there are many in the church that say, well, 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 it's not that big of a deal. Everybody is doing it. No, they're not. No, they're not. And you know what? None of them should be doing it. If any of them are doing it, none of them should be doing it. It's a calling to extreme, deliberate attention to our holiness. That we care more about, about being what God created us to be, doing what is right in God's eyes, and not, not worried about our own pleasure, our own anything, that, that we would care more about holiness, that we would sacrifice and give up anything to be more holy. Anything. I mean, he's talking about, you know, giving up an eye or a hand. You know, those are kind of important, right? <laughs> Don't we recognize you kind of need them for stuff? We ought to be so deliberate that we just don't we don't we don't entertain thoughts of unholiness that we try to capture the, the the bible says to take every thought captive to the obedience of christ that means that every thought that comes into our mind we want to ask ourselves jesus what do i do with this you know if we're if you're at a level of any level of maturity you know where the you know where the fences are at least right i know okay you know you know i'm looking at this woman this wrong thought comes into my mind what should i do with that <clears throat> boom gone i get rid of it i repent of it i repent of it you know that when when that wrong thought comes and they will come I, I, maybe it's just me maybe i'm the only one that has wrong thoughts but when a wrong thought comes and I understand it, I recognize the very first thing I do is repent. God, that is a wrong thought. It's a wrong thought. And you know how I, you know what I describe it as? Sin. That wrong thought is a sin. Now, we don't like to think that way. I can't have wrong thoughts. Oh, yes, you can. And they are sin. Because you know what happens if you let that thought hang out in your brain? It will eventually come out of you. And you'll do it. Repent of it. Jesus then touches on the topic of divorce for 30, verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Sexual immorality, or also in some translation might say fornication, is any sexual activity other than between a man and a woman in the, in the, in the covenant of marriage. That, that immorality on the part of one spouse against another, because that's what it is, an offense against the other spouse, it, it is a condition under which it appears that divorce is allowed. 
as, descri- as Jesus describes it here. But what we, what we have to be careful with, because some say, take it as a, okay, this is my, my get-out-of-jail-free card. I've been trying to get away from this person. You know, now, now, I, now I'm free. We must understand that, that it does not suggest that divorce is required if a moral failure happens. There must always be space for repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation, always. It's not always easy, and, and we'll go on, we'll get, eventually get to that place in, in Matthew where he talks about the hard hardness. Moses allowed this particular exception because of the hard hardness, and we'll get to that once we get to that because we don't have time to it today. But there must always be place for repentance. And all of these things, again, understand, these are principles. If we understand the principle, then we're not really so concerned about the fence. If I know that I'm to have a high dignity for life or marriage or whatever else we're talking about here, then I'm not going to even get close to the fence because I know, I know the fence is out there, but there's no reason for me to go to it because I know I'm going to stay right here in this principle. So when I get to the situation and Kelly makes me mad again, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to let that go. You know, it happened twice last year, so, you know, it can happen. So, you know, so I'm going to let that go, you know, rather than allow it to stir me up and, to, and get me all tangled up and, you know, you know, that sort of a thing. Listen, you know, the principle, the rules and the principles, they're both important. We have to have both of them. But ultimately, it's the principles that set us free. If I know what the principle is, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow me to live a life that's free and I'm, and I'm not playing around around the, around the fences. I'm staying away from the fence because I know that's, the, that's where it's dangerous. Now, there's a lot more that we could say on this, but we're going to get to communion this, this morning. And, and, and when he comes up, you know, David is going to, is David, where is he? I don't see him. Is he out there? Okay. David's going to come up, and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna lead us in a song. And then Randy is going to come up after the song and lead us in communion. Um, there he is. Um, and so while David is playing, if you need prayer, um, Chuck is going to be in the back. Um, go let him pray with you. Um, hang out with us while we do communion. But we've looked at four principles. And while, while, while we're worshiping and then while Randy is leading his communion, focus on these principles and allow the concept of the idea of these principles just kind of settle in your heart. Principle number one, obey God's commands. Number two, don't trust in your own righteousness. Trust in Christ's righteousness. Number three, have a high regard for life. Number four, have a high regard for marriage. We're going to pick it up. We're going to get some more next week and the week after that and the week after that. So there's a lot of these principles that we're going to see over the next few weeks. You know, so, so allow that to start start helping you there. And if you have any questions on any of it, I know I touched on some pretty heavy topics here today. If any of this you have questions on, please come see me or see Pastor Randy after the service. 
before we do the Future Today meeting, and uh, we'll be glad to talk about it. I love talking to God's people about God's stuff, so if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to come up and see me. But let's pray, and then, then David's going to lead us in song, and Randy is going to lead us in communion. Heavenly Father, we come and thank you for this day, this opportunity. We pray, Lord, these principles, Lord God, that we'd understand that, that the, the, the rules are there, the commandments are there for a reason, and we're called to obey them, but there, there's always a principle attached to that, that commandment that helps to guide us and answer many of the questions of life that we often get to. Should I, could I, uh, must I? These sorts of questions that we often come to in life that if we understood them better, we would be better able to live a life that glorifies you, blesses others, and grows faith. And so I pray, Lord, help to plant these, these, these principles deep in our heart. And I pray, Lord God, that you would be with your people as we worship and love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Thank you.